in many many places of Quran tells us that you must establish your salah but I didn't say sallu pray salah he didn't say read salah recite salah the verb Allah Ta'ala used over and over hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of times in Qur'an Aqimu, Aqimu, establish it, make yourself established in it. Let your salah establish your relationship with him. Establish your relationship with him through the salah. Make yourself qa'im, da'im, firmly, steadfast, established on your salah. This is the purpose of salah. Our problem is that although most of us we pray salah, but we're not qaim on our salah. We're not firm and steadfast in our salah. We offer our salah haphazardly or lazily or occasionally or half-heartedly. Maybe some of us are better than that. Maybe we offer it regularly, we try, but it's not fully established. If I were to have asked you that write down the 10 best things you do in your life, I don't know if any one of us could say salah. If I say, what's the 10 best things I do? If I ask one of you, what's the 10 best things you do? Maybe one of you might say, I study or I read or I'm a good doctor or I'm a good speaker. There may be a lot of things that we are good at doing. And we're good at doing them because we work hard upon them. But how many of us would say, no, you know, one thing I'm good at is my salah. I always get there early. I always pray in the masjid. I always remember Allah Ta'ala. I'm always focused. I'm always aware of the meanings, my heart always has feelings. It's one of the things I do good in my life. And interestingly, you will find today that a lot of people, they take a kind of minimalist approach towards their deen, in which they say that, okay, look, right? that I pray and that's it. I pray five times a day and don't ask me to do so much more in my deen. So that person all the more should be excelling in their salah. If they've chosen to reduce their deen down to just the five daily prayers, then you would think that they would be very good at those five prayers. They would be excellent in those five prayers. But very few people of us can honestly present excellence in our salah. We believe in the pursuit of excellence and everything else. We sit around and we lament that there's so many aspects of the country and society and populace that doesn't have excellence in it whether it's education, or it's healthcare, or it's access to justice, or there's a long list of things, but you don't need me to repeat those things for you. Even on that whole list, you might find salah. I'll give you another list. If somebody said the top 10 problems in Pakistani society, one of those top 10 problems is the people of this country don't pray salah in excellence. Nobody will think of that. It's not even on their list of problems. So whether it's an individual, whether it's family, whether it's community, whether it's society, whether it's our ummah, some people will like to have a big conference and talk about the ills and problems and trials facing the ummah. And no doubt, many times, most of the things they talk about are correct. Those are indeed problems facing the ummah. One big problem in the ummah is our core ibadah. Our asal ibadah, our salah has become weak. 
You know, sometimes we used to tell students of ours that we're always amazed that whenever we would see a non-Muslim write a book on Islam, in fact, every single non-Muslim, every single book on Islam written by a non-Muslim that I've ever read in my life, introductory book, always talks about the five pillars. It's not possible that they write an introduction to Islam without mentioning this concept of the five pillars. And in that they will always write that one of the five pillars is that Muslims pray five times a day. I'm always holding my breath and thinking that the next line they will write is although they claim to do so, 80% of them don't do it. You would think a non-Muslim would call us out of this fraud that Muslims pray five times a day, but they should write that the vast majority of them don't do it, but they never write that. I'm always amazed. I've never, ever, ever seen that in any book written by a non-Muslim. What does it mean that Allah Ta'ala is sattar? They actually think that every one of us prays five times a day. They actually think that. Allah Akbar Kabira. Little do they know that it is far from the truth that a great number of us, we don't actually pray five times a day. Or when we pray, we don't have that focus and concentration that we're supposed to have. So today's topic is actually two things. The first is Surah Al-Fatiha to begin our Dora Tafsir, which will be in defense, uh, Z-Block, uh, for men only. And that will be every day from 2 p.m. to 5.30, just shy of 5.30 p.m. inshallah. So as all of you know, the very first Surah Al-Quran is Surah Al-Fatiha. So we're going to do a Tafsir of that now. And then we're going to talk about how we can improve our Salah in this month of Ramadan. Because the month of Ramadan has one fard in it, which is fasting in this month. And then there's a second fard, which is praying our salah. And we must take advantage of the fard, the fast, in the month of Ramadan to improve and fix our fard, the praying of our salah. In fact, you have to think that in 30 days, you're going to do two things. In 30 days, you're going to do two things. One is you're going to have 30 fasts. And number two, you're going to have 150 prayers. This is how you should think of Ramadan. I have to fast 30 days and I'm going to pray 150 salah. And this 150 salah is part of my mission. Now, I may have been praying before, but now I'm going to pray these 150 salah with proper focus and concentration and meaning and feeling. So you should set this target for yourself. 30 fasts and 150 salah and keep track of those salah like most people we keep track of the fast you can always ask a person today is the second fast today is the fourth fast and mashallah today is the 29th fast so like that you should keep track every prayer is valuable but normally we don't think like that but in Ramadan because of the barakah fasting our awareness will be greater. Our connection to Allah will be greater. So there's a greater chance we will, we have a greater chance and a good opportunity to focus on our salah. Obviously, all of you know the asal heart of salah, the heart of Quran is Surah Al-Fatiha. So I want to talk about this surah a little bit first. First of all, actually before we begin with Surah Al-Fatiha, anytime Quran is recited and also including inside salah, as Allah Ta'ala Himself has commanded us in Quran, we first say, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Ar-Rajeem. 
when I do salah, we'll talk later about salah But in terms of surah al-fatiha, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ What does it mean? Well, the first thing we realize is that shaitan doesn't just attack us and make us do sin. Shaitan has another attack, which is any time we turn to Allah Ta'ala in ibadah, in any act of worship, shaitan attacks and tries to distract us inside that worship. Whether it's tilawat, recitation of Qur'an, or whether it's praying salah. It also shows you the level of enmity shaitan has. So to protect ourselves from that attack, Allah Ta'ala made it very easy. He just told us to recite this one sentence. And he also trained us. But actually the only thing that can save us from shaitan is Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. I seek refuge in Allah. I seek sanctuary in Allah. I seek protection in Allah. I have no ability. There's nothing. Even my intending to pray salah is not good enough to protect me from the waswas of shaitan. My listening to Adam, responding to Adam, making wudu, standing in masalla, coming inside masjid, all of that is still not enough to protect me from shaitan. There's nothing I can do to protect me from shaitan, no matter how good my niyyah is, no matter how good my intention is, no matter how good my amal, my action is, I'm praying salah, only Allah Ta'ala can save me from shaitan. A'udhu billahi. Allah Akbar Ajib. And that's the reality of it. There's no one who can protect themselves from shaitan. There's no amount of amal we can do. There's no amount of taqwa we can have. There's no amount of any sadqa, anything we can do. It's only Allah Ta'ala's mercy and it's Allah Ta'ala's hifadha that can protect a person from shaitan. A'udhu billahi minash shaitan al-rajeem. The minash shaitan means from shaitan al-rajeem. Al-Rajim, as opposed to Allah Rahim, Shaitan is Al-Rajim. Al-Rajim in English means repudiated, outcast, rejected, re- revolted, repulsive, absolute, and it's in an absolute sense. Shaitan is that being who is irredeemable. There's no redemption for Shaitan, there's no salvation for Shaitan, there's no maghfir forgiveness for Shaitan, there's no rahmah mercy for Shaitan. All of that is in this word Al-Rajim Absolutely, irrevocably Outcast, rejected, repudiated Now obviously That's about shaitan But one feeling we should have Is we should be scared also Because there will be people from insan Who will be sent by Allah To Jahannam forever In that sense They will be just like shaitan They will also be Rajim irredeemable, no salvation, no emancipation, no liberation. And we should be scared until the moment we die, lest we ever become amongst those people, Al-Aman Al-Afid, that we ever become amongst those people who are rajeem. So it's a category for us to know. When yes, it's, shaitan is in that category, but then it's a whole category of creation. And we're at risk, and we're at threat, and we're at danger until we pass away. And if we don't pass away living a successful life, or we don't earn Allah Ta'ala's mercy in the Day of Judgment, we can also end up with a jinn. So when, they, when Allah Ta'ala talks in Quran about Ashab al-Nar, it means Ashab al-Shaitan also. We don't want to be his companions, we don't want to be his roommates in Jahannam, so we don't want anything to do with him whatsoever. So in the first instance, yes, we're seeking refuge in Allah Ta'ala from Shaitan, 
from his vasvasa, his khalal, uh, his intervening in our concentration and recitation in salah. But generally also, we're seeking refuge in Allah Ta'ala from doing anything shaitan ever wants us to do, from doing anything that would link us with him, associate with him, and ultimately join us with him on the day of judgment. Then after that, in, in terms of Quran or Kareem, the adab of reciting, although it's not written there before Surah Fatiha, it's elsewhere in Quran, others, Allah Ta'ala has taught us the adab of recitation, that we look all the beginning of Awwal Billahi min al Shaytan Rajim. In Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. This tasmiyah, as it is called in Arabic, is at the start of every surah except one. However, it occurs once in the text of Quran, so it appears 114 times in Quran. Now, many ulama have had a very long discussion. Is Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim technically part of the Quran or is it not part of the Quran? I'm not going to enter that discussion with you right now. But Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim has an important meaning for us. First letter Ba. Ba in Arabic language comes for several meanings. One meaning it comes for is called Ilsaq. Ba Ilsaq means to join and connect two things. So the very first letter of Quran, Allah SWT is telling us that the purpose of Quran is to join and connect us with Him, with His Hidayah, with His Rahmah with his message and his guidance and his mercy and blessings for us. A second meaning of Ba is istiyana, to seek help. A third meaning of Ba is to get barakah, blessing. A fourth meaning, a fourth meaning of Ba is mayyat, mayyat, to become mm, with something, to become with something. So all of these meanings are there. But the interesting thing is Allah SWT does not teach us Billah. Allah Ta'ala taught us to say Bismillah, which means Bismillah, Bismillah. So to be connected to Allah Ta'ala's name, that is the very first lesson of Quran. To be connected to His name. Now, there are many ways. First, when we recite Quran, we're connected to His name. When we say Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, La ilaha illallah, Masha Allah, Insha Allah, Alhamdulillah, etc. There are ways that we're connected to His name. It also shows something very interesting that simply being connected to His name means we will be connected to Him. Here, which name is meant? Here, it's called Ismidal, Ismi Azam, Allah, Ism Jalala, Allah. It's not referring to any of the sifat, the asma'al husna, such as al-malik, al-hayyul qayyum. It's referring to ism-e-azm, Allah. And the muhaddithin have mentioned that this blessed name, Allah, is the unique gift from Allah Ta'ala to this ummah. No previous ummah knew this name, Allah. This is a khas karam, a special gift that Allah Ta'ala gave to this ummah. So the first thing is to be connected to Allah Taala's name. Bismillah. However, the Mufassirin have written that the name, although it was not known to any previous Ummah, was known to all the Anbiya. It was known to all of the previous Anbiya, the Prophets and Messengers. So you can say in the name of Allah, with the blessings of the name of Allah, through attaching oneself to the name of Allah, along with the name of Allah. All right. Now the interesting thing here is the name and the being are the same. 
In other words, sometimes in Arabic language, and other languages also, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes you can learn something about the being or the entity just by their name. Here it didn't help because the being is Allah and the name here, Ismi Azam, is Allah. So actually the name itself didn't tell us anything about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some ulama of Arabic, they feel that Allah was derived from Al-Ilah. The Ilah means God and Al-Islam is the definite article. So the God. Others feel that no, Allah is itself its own formulation. It's not derived from Allah subhanahu The name Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not derived from any other name. Khair, so then it was left to Allah subhanahu wa to introduce himself to us. To Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Ar-Rahman ar-Rahim is Allah Ta'ala's first introduction of himself to us. Like sometimes we say in English there's a name and then there's a byline. This is a little introduction, a byline a person puts below their name. But just like that Allah Ta'ala Allah says name Allah and the byline and the introduction to that is Ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So the asl ta'aruf, the real, true introduction and definition of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that he is Ar-Rahman and he is Ar-Rahim. As you remember Surah Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahman, Allah al-Insan, Ar-Rahman. So this is one of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is his first and foremost attribute and is his first and foremost introduction. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Then comes the question is what is the difference between these two names? Here also the ulama have given many, many interesting uh, explanations as to the difference between these two names. I'm going to just share one of them with you right now. And one of them is that Ar-Rahman means that being who has all mercy. And Ar-Rahim means that being who sends all mercy. So for example, imagine if someone has all the money in the world, that's one attribute, to have all the wealth. And second, to be so generous that you share and spread all that wealth, that's the second attribute. So Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, then in English would be translated as the all-merciful one and the all-mercy-given. Allah has all mercy and he will send all that mercy on humanity. Sayyidina said that of Allah Ta'ala's many parts of mercy, only one part, one part of his mercy, one part of his mercy is distributed on earth. Everything. By here, Rahma in that hadith meant risk also. Every single thing, idaya, all of that is only one part of Allah Ta'ala's mercy. And the rest of his mercy will be manifested on the day of judgment. When out of his mercy he will forgive the sinning believers and grant them admission and enter them into Jannah. Allah that also makes us realize that how immense our sins are in front of Allah subhanahu wa All that mercy, all of the rain is Allah Ta'ala's mercy, all hidayah is Allah Ta'ala's mercy, all of health is Allah Ta'ala's mercy, all of knowledge in the world is Allah Ta'ala's mercy, all of the risk given to the animals and humans, all of that is Allah Ta'ala's mercy. Everything you see basically and witness and that has been around since the beginning till the end of time is all Allah Ta'ala's mercy. And all of that combined is just one aspect of His mercy. And infinitely more than that will have to be the amount of mercy that He sends on the Day of Judgment in order to forgive our sins and grant us admission into Jannah. And that is because of the immense purity of Jannah and that is also due to the immense 
nafusa, the immense corruption of our sin. That our sins are so corrupt and so absolutely inappropriate for us to enter Jannah with such sins that it will take this infinite, limitless, vast, eternal mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directed by him to Al-Rahman when he directs his Rahman on someone that is when he is Al-Rahim when he focuses and targets and sends down his Rahman on someone and then through that sending of his mercy disseminating that mercy targeting and focusing that mercy this, the sins of the believers will go away so it makes us happy to know when Allah Ta'ala can do it because he's Al-Rahman and to know Allah Ta'ala will do it because he's Al-Rahim so this is how you can understand this relationship between Al-Rahman Al-Rahim. So this covered the first ayah, Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Then, uh, another meaning, another why, reason why Allah subhanahu wa began this Qur'an al-Kareem is that anybody who recites Qur'an, learns Qur'an, lives Qur'an, then through the barakah of their Following Quran, they will get that all mercy from that all merciful being. They will become Abdul Rahman and Abdul Rahim. They will become Fadlul Rahman and Fadlul Rahim. They will get the incredible mercy of that incredible merciful being. So that's the introduction to Quran and it's the introduction to Allah Ta'ala Himself. Bismillah Rahman Rahim. And Allah Ta'ala wants that any and every single time, any and everyone recites even however much of Qur'an, they should begin with this Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. They always remember and remind themselves what is the asal purpose and maqsad of Qur'an al Then, next is Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Alhamdulillah. So now the first thing, in the first ayah we learned about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now in the second ayah we learned about our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now that we know that Allah ta'ala is Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim, what's the first feeling we should have? What's the first feeling? Allah is training us in Quran. The first feeling that should come in our heart is Hamd. So it's very important when we pray Salah to feel the feeling of Hamd when we say the words of Hamd, this is the problem that we have. We say Alhamdulillah, we say it, we say it very fast, we say it out of habit, we say it without feeling it. You know, like if somebody in this world, they come to you and they tell you thank you, but you can tell they don't feel it, then you'll be upset. You're saying outwardly, you're expressing the words, you're saying thank you, but I can tell you don't really feel it. There's no feeling of thanks in your heart when you say these words. Somebody says the word I love you, but you can tell they don't have the feelings of love in their heart. So you'll be upset that you're saying the words, but you don't have the feelings in your heart. So just like that, the mistake we make is we say the word Alhamd, and it's a beautiful word, it's Quran al-Kareem, it's Kalamullah. But we taint that beauty by saying the word with a heart that at that moment is not feeling the Hamd of Allah SWT. So the purpose of Quran is feeling. Words contain meanings that guide to feeling. Meanings in themselves have no benefit. That's why they're non-Muslim professors of Qur'an. They can tell you the meanings of all of the Qur'an. The ministry classes question, why well, I don't understand. They know the whole Qur'an. Yes, they know the whole Qur'an. They can teach the whole Qur'an. They're professors of Qur'an. 
So how come, how come they don't have hidayah? Because they don't have the feelings of Qur'an. They don't have these feelings. They don't feel how. They can teach Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. They can say Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. They can translate Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Or they can comment upon Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. But they can never feel it in their heart. That's the difference between a mu'min and them. So then if we are reciting it, we will not feel it. We're not going to know that. We should be asking ourselves the question. How can I keep on reciting this without feeling? So when we were talking earlier about the 150 Salah in Ramadan, no? This is one salah. This is one thing we have to do in our salah. Is to feel the feelings of Fatiha. Every single rakah of every single 150 of those salah that we pray in the month of Ramadan. And this lam lillahi. Lam comes for ikhtisas. It means all praises. There's two ways to translate this. In Arabic they call this alif lam for istikraq. It means all praises are for Allah alone. And there's another way you can translate this, which means that praise itself, praise itself befits Allah alone. The all praises are for Allah alone. And the second is that praise itself befits Allah subhanahu alone. Why? Up to now, what do we know about Allah ta'ala? Just this much we knew. That he's Ar-Rahman and he's Ar-Rahim and that he's taught us his name, Allah, and he's allowing us to connect and join and get barakah of his name. Just because of that, all praise belongs to him. That one thing is enough to make all praise be for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because he is Ar-Rahman and he is Ar-Rahim. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us yet another aspect about himself. So Ismi Azam Allah then Ar Rahman then Ar Rahim and now Rabb Rabb Rabbil Alameen Rabb means that being who has Rububiyah who does Tarbiyah in English you would call the nourisher upbringer sustainer caretaker and earlier you would say Palniwala Palniwala upbringer nourisher caretaker Rabb Rabb and now this gives us a new thing because first we learned about Allah's absolute mercy then we learned that he will absolutely send his mercy. And now we learned that all our life, he is going to be our Rabb. He will be taking care of us. He will be our caretaker, guardian, helper, nourisher, sustainer, provider. All of that is in the word Rabb. All of that is in the word Rabb. But not just us. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Alam means a world, realm. Ta'alameen means all of the worlds or all the universes or all the realms of existence. So some people like to call it human and jinn. Some people will say heavens and earth. You can be fancy, call it dark matter, normal matter, chaos, string theory, whatever you want. All of it is alameen. All of the created realms of existence. And there are many realms meaning you don't even know about. These are known only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are many aspects of creation that mean you don't know about. That's what science is always trying to discover these things. This is what string theory and chaos theory is. It's within this existing world of ours to try to discover photons and quarks and antimatter and all these other things. So there are realms and aspects and dimensions and features to Allah's creation which is only known to Him. But whatever it is, science may discover it. Science may give a label to it. It might give a term to it. But Allah Ta'ala is the Rabb. 
Allah Ta'ala is doing the rububiyyah, He is nourishing every single subatomic particle quark. Every part of existence is created. And all of those aspects of created existence were brought into existence and are subsist in existence only due to the rububiyyah of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Alright? Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Here, now you can put it simply, what's the connection between these two ayats? So again, Allah Ta'ala has us repeat. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Now, this is a different thing. The first time it came, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, was part of the Bismillah, Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. That was Allah Ta'ala teaching us to state this reality. So we learned it then. Then when we were taught, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, our heart again feels the need to say Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Why? Because if Allah Ta'ala is a Rabb of all of the Alameen, but still Allah Ta'ala never forgot me. So the fact that Allah Ta'ala is my Rabb, which is coming in Salah Rabbi, it's going to come Sabana Rabbi Al-Azim, Sabana Rabbi Al-A'la. So on the one hand Allah Ta'ala is Rabbi Al-Alameen, on the other hand he's Rabbi, he's my Rabb. So that itself is a manifestation of Allah Ta'ala's incredible mercy and His targeting His mercy on me that in His vast, unknowingly vast, extremely vast creation Allah Ta'ala still remembered me. Allah Ta'ala took notice of little old me. Allah Ta'ala gave tawfiq to me to stand in front of Him in Salah. Allah Ta'ala gave me hidayah from all of that makhluk in creation. So again a person says Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. So what it means in simple English then is that Allah Ta'ala is everything and I am nothing. Allah Ta'ala is everything, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. I am nothing, Alhamdulillah, all praises are to Allah Ta'ala, I am nothing. If I am something, I am a mu'min, I am a musalli, I am praying salah, I am muslim. If I am anything, it is because Allah Ta'ala gave it to me. Out of His mercy, again we say, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. This is the only verse that is repeated in Surah Al-Fatiha. Then the next thing Allah Ta'ala teaches us about Himself, Malik, Maliki Yawmiddin. Now Malik is now a bit more of an intense relationship. Up till now, Allah Ta'ala being Rahman was soft for us. Allah Ta'ala being Rahim, soft for us. Allah Ta'ala being Rabb, Rabb, that was also soft for us. Then Allah Ta'ala being Malik, that is intense, that is strong. Allah Ta'ala is our master. Now what does it mean now, as an example for students, we used to give an example. that students might think, when they register for the course, that they're the master. What does it mean? It's up to them whether they read or not. It's up to them whether they study or not. It's up to them whether they come to class or not. It's up to them whether they care about the subject matter or not. But ultimately there's a final exam. Yeah, there's the day of the final exam. And whether or not they ever came to class or looked, saw their professor, they will see their professor on the final exam. And when they see their professor on the final exam, the professor will give them that exam and they will be judged by the professor on that exam. There's no escaping that. The only escape would be failure, but that's not an escape, that's failure. There's no escaping that. So similarly, me and you in our lives, on the one hand, we might think we're Malik, and this word is used in Arabic. Bakka Malik, oh, 
Malka Malik, that you're owner of your property and owner of your wealth and master of your time and controller of your fate. On one level, Allah has given us some free will ability, ikhtiar to make decisions. But there will come a day when Allah Ta'ala is Malik. Allah Ta'ala says, that on that day, Allah Ta'ala will have this proclamation announced that to whom belongs the dominion, sovereignty, right, and might on that day? Lillah, only and only to Allah Ta'ala, Al-Wahid, that one Allah Ta'ala, Al-Qahar, that dominating all-powerful Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So that means that our life has a certain purpose, has a certain purpose and a goal towards which we're leading our life. Now Yom deen normally people in Indonesia translate as Day of Judgment, but all of you know Deen does not mean judgment. But you would never seen it translated as Day of Religion. Some awkward non-Muslim translations translated like that. Otherwise standard Urdu and English Muslim translations will always translate it as the Day of Judgment. But why? When the word Deen doesn't mean judgment, right? So actually it's the Day of Deen it means it's the day that the only thing will matter is your deen. It's the day that you will be raised and assessed and examined and judged on the basis of your deen. So now if you realize that ultimately there's going to be a day and the only thing that will matter on that day is my deen, so then better I read and understand Qur'an because the Qur'an is the book where my Malik, my Rabb, Al-Rahman, Al-Rahim, Allah teaches me my deen. Teaches me my deen. Just like you would say that if I know there's a final exam and this is the reading material that's going to be tested on the final exam, better that I read that reading material and understand and learn it so I can do well on the final exam. So there's an objective given by Allah Ta'ala and a method given by Allah Ta'ala to be successful in that objective. And it also makes it clear that in terms of our, we might be Malik of our dunya, we're not Malik of our deen. And this is very different to the secular understanding of God. The secular, not necessarily because all seculars aren't atheists. The secular understanding of God is God is that being whom you can come to on your own terms. So no, the Islamic understanding of God is Allah Allah is that Malik, Malik Yomiddin that you have to come to him on his terms. That's what it means that he's the master. So when Allah Allah is Malik, we necessarily learn an identity of ourselves, which is Abd. And when we understand, you know, like they used to say this sometimes in philosophy of knowledge, that you will know yourself in relation to the other. Once you know that Allah Ta'ala is Malik, you will necessarily then know that you are Abd. That's why immediately the next thing that is said is Iyakana Udu. As soon as we realize Maliki Yawmuddin, we said Iyakana Udu. That if you are the one and only Malik, then we are going to be Abd of you and you alone. It's a Rabd, it's a connection, it's a feeling. In other words, when in Surah Fatiha, now look, the feelings are changing in the recitation. When you say Al-Rahman Al-Rahim, you have feelings of humbleness, you have feelings of love for Allah Ta'ala. When you say Alhamdulillahi, you have feeling of shukr to Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, feeling of gratitude and praise to Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. Alright, when you say Rabbil Alameen, again your heart softens that my Allah is Rabb, is the nourisher and caretaker. But when you say this Malik, 
Maliki Umidin, now your heart should tremble a little bit. Now your heart should feel fear. So in Surah Fatiha also, the reason why Surah Fatiha is the key to the Quran, the opener to Quran, is not because of the seven lines Allah Ta'ala taught us all the deen. There's so many things that are not mentioned in Surah Fatiha. What did Allah Ta'ala teach us in Surah Fatiha? Allah Ta'ala teaches us all the feelings we need to feel about Allah Ta'ala. If you can feel the feelings of Surah Fatiha, you will get the feelings of all of Quran and you will get the feelings of all of deen. If you know the meanings of Surah Fatiha, you won't get the meanings of all of Quran or the meanings of all of Deen. You need to go all the Quran and all the Sunnah for that. But if you get the feelings of Surah Fatiha, then you get the feelings of all of Deen. That's a big thing. That's a big thing. So one important feeling is when you hear the word Malik is to feel fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To fear Allah ta'ala and then Yawmuddin to feel the reckoning, to fear the reckoning, to fear the accounting, to have fear for the Day of Judgment. Now to express that fear, what? Fear in Deen, fear of Allah Ta'ala is not meant to be crippling. It's not to make him know, it's to boost a person. It's to motivate a person to do what? Yagana Udu. To push a person to do ibadah. To worship Allah Ta'ala and Iyakanabudu also means I'm your Abd. Does this just mean worship? It means I will also obey you completely. So first translation is yes, that you alone do we worship. But it's also you alone do we obey. You alone do we submit to. You alone do we take as our Malik. To you alone will be an Abd. We will not be Abd to anything else. We will not be Abd in dunya. We will not be Abd in nafs. We will not be Abd in makhluk. We will not be Abd in shaitan. We will be Abdullah, Abdul Rahman, Abdul Rahim, Abdul Rabb, Abdul Malik. Iyakanabudu. This is the profession. And we have to keep saying it over and over again because you have to keep feeling it over and over again. That's the reason why we praise Allah so much. Otherwise, you don't need to translate this. 40-50 times a day. You don't need to recite it 40-50 times a day. You don't need to understand the meaning 40-50 times a day. You have to feel this feeling 40-50 times a day. That's why prayer is repeated. That's why prayer has more than one rakah. That's why fatah is repeated. Because this feeling is so important. This feeling must be repeatedly felt so many times in a day. If you look in the, at least if you just took the Fard and Wajib Salah, the prayers that we absolutely must pray, so that would be 20 rakats, 2 of Fajr, and 4 of Dhuhr, that makes 6 plus 4 more of Asr 10, 3 of Maghrib 13, 4 of Isha 17, and 3 of Uttar 20. Alright? But at least 20 times a day, don't even think 5 times now. 20 times a day, throughout the day and night, in the early dawn, in the high noon, in the fading afternoon, in the setting of the sun, and at the start of the night, 20 times this feeling has to be felt to be a true moment. And somebody who feels this feeling 20 times scattered throughout the day and night, they will end up a true believer. Not just by reciting the wording, not just by translating the meaning, but by feeling the feeling. Okay, you are our Malik. But we said, That you alone will be worshipped and you alone will be obeyed. 
Now, as soon as a person says that, now that's a big thing, that's a claim. It's a dawa. It's a big claim to make. So immediately we have to turn to Allah Ta'ala for help in being His Abd. It's not I have the ability to be your Abd Allah Ta'ala. Now that I know you are my Malik, I pledge myself to be your Abd. But now I will need your help to be your Abd. Just like you're helping me, making me stand in Salah, making me recite Surah Fatah, you help me by sending Quran, by sending Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. I will need your help every single step and every single second of my life to be your Allah. This is the feeling. And this in Arabic, this is called iltifaq. The first were declarative statements. Alhamdulillah, those were third person declarative statements. Here now you're addressing Allah Ta'ala directly. It's a different type of speech. So we turn to Allah Ta'ala for help. Alright. Then Allah Ta'ala taught us right there in Surah Fatiha. Okay, you pledge yourself to be my Abd and you say you want my help. Know that you will get help by making dua. You can't just say Iyaka Nasta'in just once or twenty times a day. Allah will show us the way we seek help from Allah Ta'ala is to make dua. So the next verse in Surah Fatiha is going to be dua. Alright? So after we said this to Allah Ta'ala, you alone will we worship. We also say Iyaka Nasta'in that you alone are the being who can perfectly help me. There may be others who may imperfectly help me. Or maybe through your perfect guidance I may try to perfectly help me. But ultimately, since I've connected my nisbah with you, Bismillah, I've connected myself to your name and to your mercy and to your ububiyyah. And I've connected myself to your ububiyyah. So then we turn to Allah Ta'ala for help. And this is another thing that Surah Fatiha is a leveling thing in all the believers. There's nobody in the Ummah who doesn't need Surah Fatiha. There's nobody who doesn't need Allah Ta'ala's help. The Anbiya recited Fatiha. The Awliya recite Fatiha. Anbiya recite Fatiha. Sahaba recite Fatiha. Awliya recite Fatiha. Ulama recite Fatiha. Everyone in the Ummah equally needs Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. This is the level. Now, on the other, in other ways, yes, Ulama have more knowledge than us. Mutakeen have more taqwa than us. Sabreen have more sabr than us. Mudakkareen have more dhikr than us. These are all words in Quran. So in one, there are certain aspects in our being where Allah Ta'ala has made levels and differentiations. And there's other ways we're all at the same level. And the pillars are where Allah Ta'ala levels us. On Hajj, everybody leveled the same. In Ramadan, everybody leveled the same fast. In Salah, everybody is leveled exactly the same. This is one of the beautiful things about our being. This is one of the aspects of these pillars. Everybody has to be leveled together. Alright? So the first, uh, so I will tell you, the Lord tells us to uh, seek His help through du'a. So what is the du'a? First du'a is du'a of hidayah. Oh Allah, grant us hidayah. So we learn two things here. Number one, the greatest need we have and the greatest help Allah Ta'ala can give us to make us his true, obedient, worshipful servant and slave is called Hidayah. We need Hidayah. Second thing we learn 
is that I shouldn't just make dua for me, because there I was saying me, there we're also we were saying we worship Allah Ta'ala alone, we obey Allah Ta'ala alone, we seek Allah Ta'ala's help alone, and we seek guidance for us. So there's a unity in Fatiha. The unity of the Ummah is going to be through the unity of the feelings of Fatiha. You see, you might be different from another believer. And in many ways, you might be different in color, race, language, ethnicity. You might be different in some very particular legal understanding or spiritual understanding of Islam. But there's something that's the same between the two of you. And what's supposed to be the same between the believers is these feelings of Surah Fatiha. So it's not like when we say Ihdina, we're just saying, Oh Allah, guide my fellow Pakistanis on Hidayah, or guide my fellow Hanafis on Hidayah, or guide my Pirbais on Hidayah, or guide my fellow students on classmates on Hidayah. No, no. This na is all of us. All of us. This, if a person felt that we, if you feel the feeling of we 20 times a day, then we won't really be that divisive with other Muslims. But if you don't feel the feeling, you just recite the words, then you can feel the divisions between yourself and other Muslims on basis of any of so many different ways that people are definitely different from each other. Alright? So, Ihdina, Allah Ta'ala send us Hidayah. Okay, now what is the Hidayah? As-Sirat. Ihdina Sirat al-Mustaqeem. As-Sirat al-Mustaqeem. So there's a path, and it's a straight path. Here also the secularists sometimes take a pun at this and they define Islam and sometimes they call it the straight and narrow. The straight and narrow. Once there was a person in New York and uh, many years ago he met me and he said, what are you doing? And I said, nothing. And he said, are you still bringing people onto the straight and narrow? Hmm? Are you still bringing people onto the straight and narrow? Because for them they view Islam as some narrow confining thing. And they're not altogether wrong because Islam is narrow for their nafs and their nafs feels constrained and confined by the hukum of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by the will and wish and commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is how they actually, this is a term in English, the straight and narrow. How could there's no word narrow in Quran? Straight is there, al-mustaqeem, there's no concept of it being narrow. Hmm? This is also tarif al-kitab what they do. It's a twist, it's a sarcastic, cynical, but awful awful twist on Qur'an Kareem when they call, try to call Islam the straight and narrow. Tasirat al-mustaqeem, straight. Mustaqeem means so straight, it means straight in every way. One meaning of straight is direct. Another meaning of straight is there's no curves in it. Another meaning of straight is there's no obscurity, lack of clarity in it. So there's many words that this has. And al-mustaqeem, as you know, as you would know, because you remember what I told you about aqimus salah, the al-mustaqeem actually even more than that, more than just the word straight. It means the firmly established and the well-trodden. It's mustaqeem. There are people who have istiqam on this. It's a sirat, it's a path that people, and that's coming to the next verse, the next part, that people have istiqamah on it. It's well-established and well-trodden. It's so well-established that it's straight. 
It's so well established, Mustaqeen, that it is clear. It is so well established that there's no curves and crookedness in it. it that's how well established it is. Another understanding we get from this when Allah Ta'ala choose, chose to use the word as-sirat. Sirat means path. What makes us realize that deen is dynamic, it's not static. Static means that okay, I accepted Islam and I've arrived and I'm on Islam. No. Islam is a path. It means you constantly have to be moving along the path. You have to keep moving further towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you need hidayah to keep doing that. Otherwise, if you think about it, the person who is reciting this in salah, they're not misguided. They must be iman. They're praying salah, so they're doing a good thing. They're on hidayah. At the moment that they recite this sentence in salah, they're on hidayah, practicing hidayah, following hidayah. They're making praying salah to Allah. But what are they asking? Ehdina, I want more. Guide me more. You guided me to Salah. I'm praying Salah. Guide me more because it's a path. I want more and more and more and more. I want to go further and further and further along the path. I'm not content with where I am. I want more. And this feeling 20 times a day. 20 times a day the purpose of Fata, the person should feel that I want more. And who's going to give me more? Allah Ta'ala. How is he going to give me more hidayah? More hidayah. More hidayah. I want more hidayah. More hidayah. I'm going to go more on the path. I want more hidayah. I'm going to go more further on the path. It's just like today they have those uh, GPS, sat-nav, guided instructions. So we have every turn, it gives you guidance. I mean, if you set it, you could set it to drive from New York to LA if you want. And that's like a, I don't know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 hour drive. It will keep giving you more. Until you reach the destination. But until I reach that Yomuddin, I want more and more and more and more Hidayah. I want more. Ihdira Sirat al-Mustaqeem. Sirat al-Ladina alamta alayhim. So how did this Sirat, how did this path become Mustaqeem well established? What established it? Did Allah Ta'ala establish it? Did Sayyidina Rasulullah establish it? Yes. They define it. They define it. But who established it? Who populated it? Like if I tell you it's a well-established settlement, it's a populated city. Abad. So who made this Sirat al-Mustaqeem Abad? Sirat al-Ladina an'amta alayhib. That those people, insan, al-Ladina, those people, insan, an'amta alayhim, that you, Allah Ta'ala, you have sent your blessings on them. Those people that you sent your blessings on them, they are so established on this path, that their establishment on this path made it mustaqim. Allahu Akbar So this is also a very important point. Allah is teaching us in Fatiha. Again, a feeling we're supposed to feel at least 20 times a day. And obviously, we are people who try to pray sunnahs before the falai, right? The feeling to be felt at least 20 times a day that this is not some abstract deen. This is not a deen that me, I would discover on my own for the first time by reciting and understanding and feeling Quran. This is a deen that has been understood. This is a deen that has been felt. This is a deen that is established before the Anbiya. So understand now in another verse of Quran, Allah explains 
how the Sirat became established. Sadal explains in Quran, Alladina an'amallahu alayhim min al-nabiyyina wa siddiqina wa shuhada'i wa salihina. This path has been established by all of the Anbiya. Sayyidina Adam Alayhisam established this path of Deen. Sayyidina Nuh Alayhisam established the path of Deen. Sayyidina Ibrahim Alayhisam established the path of Deen. Sayyidina Musa Alayhisam established the path of Deen. Sayyidina Isa Alayhisam established the path of Deen. Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Khatul Nabiyyin established the path of Deen. All of the over 100,000 Anbiya, they established this Deen. It's established. Over 100, for humanity, for Islam, for Bani Adam, for us, it's established. As-Sirat, the path of deen leading to Allah Ta'ala is mustaqim, established. Over 100,000 Anbiya have practiced this deen, taught this deen, called towards deen. It's not just them, Allah Ta'ala continued. Alladhina an'amallahu alayhim min al-nabiyyina wa-siddiqeen. And along with those prophets, because otherwise a person will say, okay, deen is just for the prophets. No, 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 no. The Sirat al-Mustaqeem has been established not just by prophets, also by Siddiqeen. They're true followers. The ones who were brought to truth through their practicing of what Allah Ta'ala and their prophet taught them. And those Siddiqeen are in the millions and millions and millions. The first Siddiqeen are called Sahaba Ikram in our Ummah. The first Siddiqeen are called Sahaba Ikram radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een. Every single Sahabi was a Siddiq and every single one of them was part of establishing Salat al-Mustaqeen. Right from the Khulafa al-Rashidun to the last Sahabi who lived. But the Siddiqeen don't stop there. Then there were the great Mufassirin of this Ummah, Muhaddisin of this Ummah, the great Fuqaha of this Ummah, the great Uriya of this Ummah, and whoever else Allah Ta'ala knows to be from his Siddiqin. Countless multitudes of people, and the Siddiqin are living. There will always be Siddiqin in every generation. Anbiya have ended. Sayyidina Rasulullah, he sallallahu So Siddiqin have established will be established and will always continue to establish this path of deen. What shuhada'i? Shuhada means the martyrs. What does it mean that there were some people in humanity who were willing to give their very life to establish this deen? This path of mustaqim established through the blood of the martyrs to people who were willing to give up anything and everything so that this deen would be established. Sahaba Ikram became Shaheed on Badr. Why? To establish Deen. They became Shaheed on Uhud. Why? To establish Deen. If it wasn't for their sacrifices, Deen would not have been established. So there's a lot of effort. Yes, it's through Allah Ta'ala's Hidayah, through Quran Al-Kareem, through the Sunnah of Nabi Kareem, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But there's also people. Their act of fuss is a very important thing because it includes us in Deen. The act of following deen uprightly. That's the fourth thing. Salihin. Four categories of people Allah Ta'ala mentions in the Quran are Alladheena Ananta Alayhim. Nabiyyin, Siddiqeen, Suhada, Salihin. So Salihin are those who upright, pious, Allah fearing, sin abstaining believers. Just their act, them becoming Salih and their being Salih. Establishes deen, establishes Salatul Mustaqim. Allah Akbar, it's an inclusive process, it's part of the Ummah. 
The Siddiqeen Shuhada Salihin of the Ummah and the Siddiqeen Shuhada Salihin of past Ummahs, all of that was part of establishing this path that leads towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahu Akbar Kameena. The Indian of Sirat al-Mustaqeem. Sirat al-Ladheena an'amta alayhim. That means when we made that the first line of this was Ehdina, Allah Ta'ala guide us. So it means that we are saying guide us to the path, guide us to the people on the path, guide us to Nabiyeen, guide us on the teachings of Nabiyeen, guide us to Siddiqeen, guide us to the company of the Siddiqeen, guide us about the Shuhada, guide us about the lessons to be learned from the sacrifices of Shuhada, and guide us to the Salihin, and guide us and make us from the Salih. This is what it means. And again, it's the feeling. Feeling that connection is part of the feelings of Surah Fatiha. It's part of the feelings of Deen. All feelings of Deen inside Surah Fatiha. So one of the feelings of Deen is to have a feeling that there are people on our Deen who are guided and to be guided by them means they will get the guidance. Again, this is very different from the secular concept of religion which tells you just use your akal and understand religion and God yourself. Allah was teaching us a totally different thing in Surah Fatiha. That is Hidayah, and Hidayah lies in people who are Allahina Anamta Alayhim. And when you're guided by the guidance of those people, you will be on Asirat al Mustaqim. Then Allah Ta'ala mentions there are also other types of people. But misguidance can also come through people. Misguidance can come first from doing something that incurs the anger of Allah Ta'ala, and second, misguidance can come from people. Just like guidance comes from Allah Ta'ala from people. Misguidance can come from sinning against Allah Ta'ala and misguidance can come from people. So it says other types. So what is it? And what does it mean? It means don't put me on the sirat. Many times people, they don't capture this in the transition. He said, Ehdina, guide us to sirat. Ehdina, sirat al Sirat, sirat al-ladina. The path of those and not the sirat of the maghdubi. Don't put me on the path. So it means that there are number one people who are maghdub and there's a whole path. And there's a whole way of life, a whole tarz, a whole culture, a whole society, a whole mentality, a whole civilizational outlook. There's a whole other sirat that these people have. Maghdub upon whom Allah Ta'ala's ghadab they've incurred the wrath and anger of Almighty Allah by sinning against Him and by making a separate sirat, a separate way of life, a separate lifestyle, a separate culture, separate understandings of gender separation, separate understandings of truth and falsehood, separate understanding of legal and illegal, completely separate sirat. This was Anamta Alayhim. Now it's Maghubi Alayhim. How do they get the anger? Who are these people? They are the ones who go against the Hidayah of Allah Ta'ala. Go against the commandments of Allah Ta'ala. Go against the Sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Simply speaking, in any way, they go against Sirat al-Mustaqim. Any deviance from that true path, any other path, gets the wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then the last group is Waladali. 
ಒಂದು ಡಾಲ್ ಮೀನ್ ಅವರೆಸ್ಟ್ ಮೀನ್ ಡಾಲ್ಸ್ಟ್ರೇಲ್ಸ್ಟ್ರೇಲ್ಸ್ಟ್ರೇಲ್ಸ್ಟ್ರೇಲ್ಸ್ಟ್ರೇಲ್
but that's not something other than this. It doesn't mean you don't get this. You have these feelings. Then there's a feeling beyond this. It doesn't mean you lose this feeling. You have the feelings and the meanings of Fatiha, and then that opens up another feeling, which is called Ihsan. This is what Sayyidina Rasulullah explained in the hadith that you worship Allah as if you were seeing Him. The same feeling you would have felt in your heart if you prayed Salah looking at Allah, that's how you should pray Salah. That's another feeling to get. But the first feeling is to first get the feelings of Fatiha. The feeling of Fatiha is a gateway into that. And then the Prophet to complete that hadith that if you don't get that feeling, at least you pray with the feeling that Allah is watching you. How would you feel if when you were praying you could know Allah Ta'ala is watching you, pray with that feeling. Pray with that feeling. So feelings of Fatiha and feelings of Ihsan, which are these two levels, these are the feelings to try to get in our Salah. And being in a state of fasting makes it easier to get those feelings. Alright? Now, very briefly, maybe we don't have very much time, I want to take you through the rest of Salah. Alright? So, the very first thing, I'll do this very quickly, inshallah, is that before Salah comes Tahara, before Salah comes Tahara, Tahara means you must have purity. Alright? Now, these are the basics of Tahara that you already know. You have to have Hussle, you have to be Mudu, your clothing should be pure, the place you're praying should be pure. Alright, and those of you who don't, have not yet had the chance to learn these things in depth, you should try to learn these things deeper. There's also purity of what you eat, there's a purity of how you earn, there's a purity of how you speak, and many levels of tahara. There's a purity of all of your a'mal, purity of action, purity of all aqwal, purity of speech. And then there's a purity of the batin. So the two aspects to our batin, purity of our thoughts and purity of our heart. I just want to talk about those things right now. Having mentioned to you all the other types of purity that need to be improved to improve the condition of our salah. For example, why am I focusing on thoughts and heart? Because sometimes people will try this. They will learn the meanings of fatah. And probably all of you know the tarjama fatah. So some of you didn't make that effort. Alhamdulillah, you know the meanings of fatah. So they do try. But they say that even when I went in salah in Ramadan and I made me to try what you said, I got stuck in all these other thoughts. So actually that means you didn't have purity of thought. So that was another problem. So sometimes if we have too many impure thoughts, those impure thoughts continue in our salah and it's too difficult inside the salah to get out of those impure thoughts and come back to the meanings and feelings of Allah. Now the thoughts could be impure in a sense of being sinful. So that's haram in of itself. Or the thoughts are impure, meaning they're ghairullah. It might not be sin. You're thinking about your business, you're thinking about what you have to do, you're thinking about the next class. That's not a sin. But it's ghairullah, so as far as purity of salah, it's an impurity. It's a stain on your salah. It's not a sin, but any thought of ghairullah is a stain on your salah, is an impurity in salah. It makes your salah less khalis. It's not khalis ibadat anymore. Because inside ibadat, you're also thinking about dunya. So it's very important to don't leave this battle to inside the salah. If you find that this is a problem that my mind wanders, or I get random thoughts, or worldly thoughts, 
or sinful, shameful, sinful thoughts inside Salah, you have to fix this outside of Salah. You have to work on this. You have to go through exercises and training that the Mishnah teach to purify your mind from impure things. You have to increase the zikr of Allah Taala. You have to have more thoughts of Allah Ta'ala throughout the day and night. The more thoughts you will have of Allah Ta'ala, the less thoughts of dunya. The less thoughts of dunya, easier to focus on salah. However, if you have less thoughts of Allah Ta'ala outside salah, less thoughts of Allah Ta'ala outside salah, then you have more thoughts of dunya outside salah, and you have more thoughts of dunya inside salah, and then more difficult than to get the means and feelings of thought inside salah. So purity of the mind is very important. And then that comes to purity of the heart. The impure feelings, that in the Salah we're supposed to have love for Allah Ta'ala, instead maybe a person has an impure love. It's not possible. You have to fix this outside Salah. You can't fix it inside Salah. If a person has an unlawful love for creation, romantic, lustful love, it's not going to go away in the Salah. It's not going to go away in the Salah. You are going to bring your own heart with all of its feelings to your salah. You're not going to bring any other heart. You're going to bring the heart that was feeling whatever it was feeling 24 hours a day inside the salah. If you bring a heart to salah which has unlawful feelings in it, it's going to be near impossible to get the proper feelings of thought they have feelings from the inside your salah. The purity of feeling. Purity of feeling comes through toba, making toba to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Raju illallah, turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inabat illallah, yearning for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, longing for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Again, these feelings have to be worked on through zikr, through dua, good feelings for the Prophet through dhru, through salawat. You have to work on these feelings. So this is tahara of the mind and the heart. Then the actual act of wudu, I will just say a little bit here. That wudu has a nur in it that some of us we fail to get because we treat wudu as a purely mundane physical washing exercise. The zahir of wudu is just a physical washing exercise. But the batin of wudu, the inner reality of wudu, is wudu is pure zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you could make wudu, if we could learn to make wudu while remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with a heart that has feeling for the small problem. If you, if you, uh, Moan. Um, so when you make wudu, you have to remember the small problem. Now there are some du'as that are mentioned in some books. Now I'll be very honest with you. Those du'as cannot be traced back to Sayyidina Rasulullah with the most authentic chains of narration. Alright? However, whether the Prophet made those du'as, or otherwise the second possibility is one of these Siddiqeen, Salihin, Mu'mineen made those du'as. I will explain to you in Surah Fatiha, let me explain this to you again. Allah Ta'ala defines the path, Salatul Mustaqeen. Sayyidina Rasulullah Sunnah is the description, Allah Ta'ala is the definition, the vehicle the description and details of the path. And then after that, after that, the Siddiqeen, the Amal of the Siddiqeen and the Amal of the Salihin, 
It has to first not be anything khilaf the Quran, khilaf the Sayyid, khilaf the Sunnah. It cannot go against the Nabi. But it can provide additional color on that path. So even if you find one of the Salaheen's du'as that they made during Budu, and without the kalluf, but if they resonate with you, if you think that, yes, this is what I should have been feeling when I washed my arms, and this is what I should be feeling when I put water on my eyes and my face, and this is the feeling I should be feeling when I wipe my head, you should use those du'as. And if those du'as don't resonate with you, no problem, then you yourself should find a way to use the physical act of wudu to remember Allah SWT. So to give you an example of the way that some of the Siddiqeen and Salihin used to feel it, because it comes in hadith, the Sayyidina Rasulullah said that when a person does wudu, the water washes the sins from their limbs. So they should make dua according to that, right? They used to make du'as in their heart, even on their tongue, that my sins are being washed away. Now that's a different feeling. When you one is you can just wash your face for wudu, some abstract concept. And second is you can wash your face and feel that I'm washing the sins of Badnazri away. I'm washing the sins of sinful thoughts away when I do masab and I wipe over my head. It's a different feeling. Your wudu will be different. But if you do wudu with more feelings for Allah Ta'ala and more awareness, that opens up the ability to have more feelings and awareness to Allah Ta'ala inside Salah. And if you do, you will do unfeeling and unaware, and just physically, it's danger that we will end up doing the salah also just physically. Alright? Then comes Adhan. Listen, although a person may indeed listen to Adhan first and then do with you later, Adhan is also key to salah. The earlier you start, the more you will feel in salah. And this is one of the blessings for those who live in Pakistan. Right? That mostly you can hear the Adhan most of the time. So when you hear it, try to listen to it. Hearing is something else and listening is something else. Alright? Hearing just means the sound waves entered your ear. Listening means you chose to tune into those sound waves. So trying to listen to Adam. Listening to Adam, yes, highest adab is that you leave what you're doing. But if you can't leave what you're doing, maybe you're inside a class, maybe you're doing a meeting, maybe you're working, okay. Don't leave what you're doing, or don't stop what you're doing, but while continuing to do what you're doing, lend an ear to Adam. Lend a portion of your awareness to the Adam. This will also help in Salah. Now, there's not enough time now to go through the whole meanings of Adam, but it's something that you would have understood, and you should know the translation of the meanings. Just understand like this, that when Allah Ta'ala told shaitan to make sajda so there was no adhan there Allah just told him ustudu right and he didn't make sajda alright so he refused Allah Ta'ala's command to do sajda once and Allah Ta'ala decided to send him to Jahannam forever now imagine the person who doesn't pray doesn't pray and I told you there are 25 rakats and each rakat there are 2 sajdas 40 sajdas they refuse Allah Ta'ala's command Every day for 40 sajdas. 40 sajdas. Shaitan refused one sajda. Went into Jahan forever. This person refusing 40 sajdas. And every day. And day after day. Allah should be scared. He should be scared. And Nabi Akareem sallallahu alayhi wa said the very first thing that will be accounted of a believer on the day of judgment will be their salah. We don't think like that. 
We think, oh no, Allah is going to see if I was an honest worker. Allah is going to see if I was good to my kids. Yes, Allah will see all of them, but the, your Prophet, our Prophet, telling us first, before any of that, before we'll check if you're a good father, good mother, good citizen, good person, or if you were truthful, before any of that, the first thing that will be checked is, did you pray salah? Like we say, it was first things first. Hmm? Uh, what, are you gonna, what are we going to do on the day of judgment? Do you think anybody can say that to Allah Ta'ala? Allah Ta'ala, I'd like to skip this question, then move to the next question, how good a father you were. Will anybody be able to talk to Allah Ta'ala like that? Let's move to the next question, how good a person I was, how much I told the truth. Can I, 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 I skip, I pass. I take a pass on this one. Hmm? Nobody can talk like that. First things first. Hmm? Have you ever seen the face of a student? I have. I have. Have you seen the face of a student in the exam? I remember some of your students exam, I would give them the first paper and then there was the second paper. You should see the look on their face when their first paper doesn't go well for them. And they're not. And it takes a hugely optimistic student to be hopeful that maybe the second paper, when they get the second question in the paper, the essay answers, they'd be able to make up for how they messed up on the short answers. It's not easy when you mess up the first question at an examination. It's not easy to go to the next one. Yomuddin, Malik Yomuddin, it's an exam. First question will be Salah. So the Adhan is when you should be thinking about these things. Because Adhan is your choice. Adhan is when you make the decision, am I going to pray, am I not going to pray? That's the purpose of Adhan. To make you make it a deliberate choice. Allah will call and there will never be a salah for which there was no adhan. Now you may have heard it or not, that's a separate thing. But there will always be adhan for salah. Allah will work and be done. And if you can, obviously you know what's better or more other two, reply to the adhan, alright, and respond to the adhan in the sunnah way that a person should reply. Alright? Now, there was a great scholar uh, some of you may have heard his name because he was from this. And I just took a glance at the clock, so I'm just going to forward. Now I'm going very fast. There were two. Tell uh, I was skipped that also. One was Imam Al Ghazali Matana, because I've explained that several times, and I think that's also on the website. So Imam Al Ghazali Matana has in his Ihyal al Din mentioned six ways that a person can improve and concentrate in Salah and that we have done. Uh, on the website, so a person can uh, listen to that. All right. There was another scholar. Uh, it is more, much more uh, current and recent past. His name is Mawlana Madhuram and Nomani Rimalatala, and his son is a very good friend of ours, Mawlana Sajjad Nomani. And Mawlana Madhuram and Nomani Rimalatala, he wrote a book called Hakikatul Salah, Urdu. Hakikatul Salah. One of the one of the very nice things you can get that is it's easily available. In Urdu Bazaar, Hakikatul Salah, for those of you who don't do, Hakikatul Salah, by Malana Munzur Ahmad Nomani Ramtan. Malana Munzur Ahmad Nomani Ramtan, who is more famously known for writing the word Marful Hadith. In this Hakikatul Salah, Malana Munzur Ahmad Nomani Ramtan, actually takes a person through the whole Salah in a very beautiful way. Sort of like I did feel in Surah Fatiha, the feelings of every ayah. So he takes a person through the whole one. So I'm going to do it and I will add some things there. Uh, so, number one is uh, the Adam. So 
So the first thing he says, a person should listen to the adhan with adab because they should feel that Allah Ta'ala is personally calling them. They should feel that the adhan is Allah Ta'ala's message for them. Personally. They should take it personally, they should feel it personally, they should listen to it personally. And they should view it as a beautiful call that my Rabb is inviting me to express my needs and my love for him in his court. Which means the Musalla, which means praying Salah. I'm being invited by my Rabb to express my need and love for him. And my Rabb is inviting me to express his love for me. Because that's also what happens in Salah. When a person enters Salah, they become the Mahub of Allah SWT. They become the Murad of Allah SWT. They become the beloved of Allah SWT. So personally, my Allah is calling me so that he can send some of his love and mercy on me. And when you think of it like that, it's hard to say no, right? If you have any imam, it's hard to say no when you think of it like that. Hmm? So to listen to adhan with adab and adhan with feeling. Alright. Here then some that very detailed uh, particular feeling for every line of salah, uh, every line of adhan, but mostly it's in understanding the meanings of those words. And you've already understood, I've given you enough of that. All of you are sensible enough to learn the meanings and understand the feelings that are intended by those meanings. Then for those men who will be going to the masjid, a person should walk towards the masjid and feel azmat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and should recite the du'as, Allah maftahli, abwaaba rahmatik, that Allah ta'ala open up to you the gates of your mercy. And when they enter the masjid, they should feel like that. That Allah ta'ala accepted my du'a by letting me enter the masjid and he has opened up the gates of his rahmat to me. And I have entered the rahmat, means I have entered the downpouring of the mercy of Allah ta'ala. Then if a person, okay, uh, I had already done for you, uh, these feelings of wudu, uh, which is to purify the mind and heart of the sins before salah. When a person stands in front of Allah, they should feel how they would feel when they stand in front of Allah on the Day of Judgment. You see, physically speaking, there are three postures of reverence. You stand in front of someone, some people stand in respect in front of someone, to bow to someone, and third is to prostrate to someone. Allah has put all three physical postures inside Salah. Iyam, Ruku, and Sudu. So when you stand, because a lot of us don't realize this. How can I explain this? Sajda, we, we feel, okay, I'm going into Sajda. I never do Sajda other than Salah. But you should feel the Qiyam. After you say Allah and you stand, now it's a different standing. I mean you stand hours and hours a day. We stand all the time. That standing is different. That was the default position because we were standing. This is a different standing. This is Qiyam. Qiyam. Standing in front of Allah Ta'ala. That person who fears the day when they will be standing in front of Allah Ta'ala. And that's a good way to remember that day. When you stand in Salah, it's a different type of standing. And when you stand in Salah, remember that day when you will be standing in front of Allah Ta'ala. When you will be presented to Allah on the day of judgment. When you will be called to stand in front of Allah on the day of judgment. So you have to make the Qiyam conscious also. It's also a posture, it's not just the sajda. So it has to begin with the standing. 
So the standing is more fear. Why? The sajda was more love because sajda you physically submitted to Allah Ta'ala. So there's less fear. That's why you will see this one of the principles that make the student stand up. Because when you stand and you have to, you're fully exposed. So you feel more fear when you're standing. And that's how it is in Salah also. You're supposed to feel the most fear in Qiyam. All the team to stand fearfully in front of Allah Ta'ala. So the feeling of fear is more in Qiyam. And the feeling of love and intimacy is more, and good is more in Sadda. So there's a proper feeling to feel in that Qiyam. So to feel that feeling in the Qiyam, then to make that niya that one is facing the Qibla. And they should feel that just like I physically oriented my body towards Qibla, towards Kabbalah, towards Baitullah, towards Kaaba, just like I'm orienting my heart and my life towards Allah subhanahu This is just a physical metaphor of the orientation of the heart and life to Allah Ta'ala by physically orienting our body towards the Qibla, towards Kama. Alright? Then a person makes the niyam for their salah, then they make the first takbir, Allahu Akbar, which is called takbir al-tahrima. Tahrim means it makes other things haram. And now that I've done this, right, the, the baby message of it would be to our children is now speaking is haram and reading is haram and talking is haram and no, what it, that's what it means. But it also means now anything other than Allah Ta'ala I make haram in myself. Any thought of Allah, I want to make haram on myself. It's not a serious issue. I am now entering a zone where I am making this ihtimam, I'm making this intention that anything and everything other than Allah Ta'ala is now finished for me. I prohibit every feeling of mine other than Allah Ta'ala to come in my heart now. I prohibit every thought other than thought about Allah Ta'ala to come in my mind now. This is what it means when we make that takbir. And when we make that takbir, obviously we begin, and this is also something that is repeated over and over in Salah, Allahu Akbar, that Allah Ta'ala is greatest. Allah Ta'ala is greatest. Means Allah Ta'ala creators of everything, thereby become the greatest. Alright? Now, there are many aspects to that. Uh, even some ulama mentioned even that the feeling of raising of the hands is that you're throwing back everything. And others raising of the hands that you're showing your helplessness that you're casting away all your ability, right? And then you begin with Allah Ta'ala's name, Allah Akbar, that He is the greatest and greater than everything. So you should know this Saban you would all know, right? And full of barakah is your name. Ta'ala Ta'ala is exalted and high. Jadduk is your status, is your rank, is your stature of the Subhanahu Wa And there is no God, no being, no deity except for you. This, this sentence itself is also packed with feeling. This sentence itself is also packed with feeling. And it also shows that Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallam before he began his recitation of Qur'an and before he said, Audu Billahi Minash he felt the need in his heart to do the tasbih and hamd of Allah Taala. After doing the takbir of Allah Taala, the takbir, tasbih, tahmeed, tanjeed, these are all the things that are taking place. And this is a feelings for Allah Taala. Then the feelings of Audu Billahi Surah Fatah, I already did for you. Um, in our own way, it, it was a different way. And then you say, Allah Akbar. And then you recite uh, some kirat, some part of Qur'an. Again, you should try to recite that part with meaning and that part with feeling. And then you say, Allahu Akbar, and then you go to ruku. 
then you go into Raku. And Raku says, Sabhanadam bir adeem. Alright, now when you go into Raku, this is bowing to Allah SWT. Here this Allah has been understood that Allah Ta'ala is greater than what I just recited. Allah Ta'ala is greater than the recitation I've offered. So I stood, Allah Ta'ala is greater than my fearful qiyam, my fear and standing. Allah is greater than the Quran I can recite. So now what can I do? Okay, let me go down and bow in front of Allah Ta'ala. And when I bow in front of Allah Ta'ala, because Allah Ta'ala is greater, Subhanahu wa ta'ala that exalted and pure and glorious is my Rabb Al-Adeem. Al-Adeem. And here, Muzurab and the Mayrata wrote in this point that when because we say Al-Adeem, so this is the one place where we don't have to say Allahu Akbar. Because his position was that Adeem is even greater than Akbar. So here you just said the word Adeem. So now, Allah Ta'ala achieved Allah SWT out of his mercy after all this fearful standing and then saying Allah is greater than whatever I could offer in Qiyam then the physical bowing then doing the tasbih of Allah Ta'ala Al-Azim now Allah Ta'ala reaches out and tells us what? Don't even lower yourself so much and think that Allah is greater than what I have to offer I'm so worthless, I'm so humble no, no, Allah Ta'ala reaches out now so if you came fearfully, you stood fearfully, you bowed fearfully, listen, Sami Allah Hamida, Allah Ta'ala listens and hears that person who praises him. Rise from your humility, rise from your bowing, rise from your glorifying and majestifying your Rabb. Rise and know now. Rise back. It's a different type of qiyam now. Allah Ta'ala is lifting us up out of ruku. By telling us that he hears us when we do hamdullah, he's giving us the salmi. So then immediately what do we say? We immediately go to hamd. You hear the people who praise you. I praise you. To you is praise. To you belongs all praise. To you belongs praise itself. And then you're so happy now that you hear. So now you say Allah Akbar in a celebratory way. You don't have this here, but the American Muslims, they love to say this. They go, Takbir, they all say, Allah Akbar. Right? So, that's what, this is the Allah Akbar. Now you're celebrating this. Allah Ta'ala hears those who praise Him. Allah Ta'ala let me ray. Allah Ta'ala told me to stand back up. Allah Akbar, I'm going in sajda. I'm going in sajda. I'm so in love with Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. Then you say, Subhanahu Rabbi Bi Al-A'la. Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, that make sajda and you will get qurb. When you make such that you will become even closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You will become even closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So sajda now, two things. Fix your fatiha, feel your fatiha, and second, feel your sajda. Make sure you feel, try in all those 150 salah, fard salah, ramadan, inshallah, that you don't get up from that sajda until you feel it. It doesn't take long. What we do is we get up from sajda as soon as we can say as fast as possible three times subhanallah bilallah. Change. Change the objective. I will get up from sajda as soon as I feel the qurb. If you do that, it's not easy. Why would you want to get up when you feel the qurb? Huh? If you stay long enough to feel the qurb, you're not going to want to get up. That's what it was supposed to be. You're supposed to wrench yourself away from sajda. And that's why the sajda comes twice. You read the ulama that is marfat. There's nothing else is going on twice. There are not two rakus, two qiyams. The sajda comes twice, but you pull yourself from the qurb and says, come back, come back again. Come back and get this taste, this qurb again. 
Allah Akbar Kabira. And then after feeling the qurb with Allah Ta'ala, then again you want to stand in fear of Allah Ta'ala, again you feel like bowing to Allah Ta'ala, again Allah Ta'ala tells you to rise up and praise Him, again you want to fall in sajda, but this is not the feeling. This is the feeling. Alright? And the one last thing is just to mention to you, Attahiyatullahi. Right? So what is this? This is your saying, everything of mine is for Allah Ta'ala. Everything if you're finally sitting and let's say it's a two rakah salam, you're just closing over here. All of my me, myself, my body, my possessions, my thoughts, my feelings, my praises, my blessings, my salutations, my salawat, everything is for Allah Sponsor. With the all the pure things are for Allah Sponsor. Assalamu alaikum ya Nabi wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. After all this now you send salam. On that, Nabi Kareem Sallallahu who guided you to Salah, who taught you Salah, who's had you Salah, Mu'allim Salah, who was your Nabi. If it wasn't for him, I would have never prayed the Salah. I would have never known. As-salamu alaykum. Allah Akbar You have to say it like that. Say it that you're so happy that you got to pray the Salah, you're sending it. And when you say it like that, and you send it like that, the angels will take it like that to Madinu Munara, and take it like that to Nabi Kareem Sallallahu it's not just the salawat outside salah, the salawat inside salah also. But according to Sayyidi, the angel comes and takes it to Madinah Munawar. As-salamu alayka yun nabiyu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. As-salamu alayna. Then you see that Allah Ta'ala is accepting this salam so much. The salam that you sent on the Prophet Sallallahu you say, I want this salam on all of us. Alayna, not just me. Alayya, alayna. On all of us. All of us. Hmm? And all of us who might be praying in the congregation, all of us who might be alive, and all of the righteous worshippers of Allah Ta'ala in the past and the future. And you would think this is the beginning, we should start with Kalima, right? No, no, just towards the end of Salah. It's different. You're not refining the Kalima here to enter Islam. You've already entered Islam. It's not like being recited, otherwise it would be done at the beginning. This is something else. You're reaffirming the haqiqat and haqqani the truth of the deen of Islam because of this experience of salah. Every single salah, the experience of every single salah increases your iman on the deen, increases your shahada, increases your iman on Allah Ta'ala and on the Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then you recite the Rishi Salawat on the Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because all of being came to us through him. And the Bhagavad Gita himself taught us through the Ibrahim. He himself taught us to he recited through the Ibrahim what he pray Salah. This is also his own humility. That you will be feeling all of being came to you from me. And my feeling is that I got being because I'm from the descendant of Nabi Ibrahim. That was his humility. That gives us that connection. That gives us a connection, and then afterwards you make dua. Right? Now, there are many different duas to make. Many times people are Allah is alam to nafsi. So, this is a type of istighfar basically. That we're hindering that salam and istighfar. But you can make any dua at that time, and then you say salam. As you know, you should be saying salam and feeling that you're saying salam to the angels on your right. What does it mean? Angels praying with you. And when the believer prays, when the believers pray, Allah sends angels. Allah Ta'ala sends angels and they line up and they pray on their right and left. Allah Akbar Kabir. The angels who are always making ibadah to Allah Ta'ala, 
always seeking glorification praise, the angels have to line up on their left and right. You're actually saying salam to the angels on your right and saying salam to the angels on your left. Imagine that human being who feels that I pray to Allah along with the angels 20 times a day, right? Five times a day. That's a different feeling. Hmm? That's a different feeling. Alright? So here we brought you very quickly. I did it very quickly because we have to leave at 10 o'clock. We brought you up to the salam. Alright, we're back up to the salam, and there ends the salah, and if you would know the sunnah, then you can name sunnah afterwards to again say Allah, but after you've said your salam, and then to say astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. Allah will bring me that no matter how much I may have focused and concentrated on my salah, Allah is still greater. He's still greater than any salah I could offer, and I seek his forgiveness for any deficiencies, any shortcomings I may have had in the salah. I seek his forgiveness for any shortcomings and sins I brought with me to the salah. I seek his forgiveness and shortcomings for any sins that I may still have in me after the salah. Very kind of thing. Before, during, and what may yet remain. And you can keep doing this, keep doing this. So try in Ramadan. Is this one pillar which is called the month of fasting to fix that other pillar which is called praying five times a day? Really, if we fix these two foundations, really our deen will open up for us. Our closeness and relationship with Allah will open up to us. And sometimes it really is about first going back to the basics. And Ramadan is about that. Go back to the basics, fix the basics, become strong in our basics. We have come accept us in this month of Ramadan to fix our basics, to fix our Quran, to fix our Salah, to fix Ramadan, to do many, many things as much as we can. Ya Allah, you make that you make this Ramadan the best Ramadan of our life, that you improve every salah of ours, give us tawfiq, Ya Allah, to remember you in Adhan, to remember you in Wudu, to remember you in Salah, to remember you in Qiyam, to remember you in Wudu, to remember you in Sujood, and make us from your Zakharim Musaddeen, make us from your Qanadeen Musaddeen, make us from your Khashi'in Musaddeen, make us from your Muttaqeen Musaddeen, and make us from your Years we have prayed with an empty mind and a hollow heart. Here we ask that you send your fuzzle and karam on us, your rahmah on us, out of your mercy, Ya Rabb, soften our heart for the salah, fill our heart with the feelings of Quran, fill our mind with the meanings of Quran, fill our mind with thoughts of you, fill our hearts with feelings for you, fill our salah with all of these things, and you begin fill our salah so much that it spills over outside our salah, so that even outside our salah, Ya Rabb, during the day we want to remember you. In the nights we want to remember you. When we're alone, we want to remember you. In gatherings, we want to remember you. Take out all of the ghafla from our mind, all of the ghafla from our heart. Remove all of the impurities here in the green. Make us muhsin, make us muttaqin, make us salihin. Ya Allah, ya Nabi Kareem. Let me make offer the whole ummah, ya Rabb. Let us be a Ramadan and change for the ummah. A Ramadan of rahmah for the ummah. A Ramadan of maghfirah for the ummah. A Ramadan of hidayah. 
ta'rifat al-ummah it became raises again as the ummah of sunnah as the ummah of quran as the ummah of love as the ummah of mercy ya abayna bikreen make us better as individuals better as a family better as communities better our society better our ummah better our humanity get bikreen help us and guide us ya bikreen ihdina ihdina siratal mustaqim siratal ladina amanta alayhim غير المغلوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين ربنا تكلم منا إنك أنت السميع العليم وتوب علينا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين برحمتك يا رب العالمين آمين